Welcome to It's a Good Life, where it's all about helping entrepreneurs think, feel, and do better. We had a great conversation with leading economist Nicholas Eberstadt on Tuesday this week about the invisible crisis, men without work. Brian referenced one of his favorite podcasts, The Blessing of Work, and why work plays such a pivotal role in our economy today. And we hope you enjoy. Going to talk to you about a subject today. And certainly, I will probably be taking a countercultural approach to this. I don't often try to be countercultural, and I'm not really a rebel, but I don't believe in conforming and just going along with the crowd. And I've certainly found that when you follow the crowd, they typically don't lead you to the good life. In fact, they typically don't lead you anywhere. When you think about what other people have, you know, so many times we try to please other people. And uh, what plans do those other people have for you? Typically, not much. They don't have a plan for you. And so I'm going to talk to you today about the blessings of work. You know, in today's world, we're not sure about that. The idea of success is somebody on a hammock with their feet crossed, on the sand, looking at some turquoise water. The people who've got it made are the people who don't have to work anymore. I'm I'm so successful, I don't have to work. I've been in that spot for a long time. I've been in the spot economically where I haven't needed to work for a long time. So why are we doing this stuff? Why do we put all this work in? Well, we're going to talk about it today. I will share with you a couple things that kind of tip me over the edge. One is I've been driving around and I'm seeing all these signs everywhere. Help wanted, need staff. I've experienced restaurants I've gone back to since they've opened back up here in California places that I've loved to go that were kind of cool, hole-in-the-wall places, and my goodness, it's taken forever to serve, and food, and this, and that, and the cleanliness of the places, and all of these things. And I'm a pretty patient guy, and I know that the circumstances are what they are, and having had a chat with a few waiters and waitresses, they all say the same thing. We don't have enough people, and people are pretty impatient with us. And I don't think either one of those is a good scene. The second thing that kind of inspired this conversation, a young man, he's working for my general contractor. He's on the job. He said to me, you know, look, uh, Mr. B, great to see you. He's worked on a number of projects I've had. He's learning a trade. He's he's going somewhere. He says, I've got to tell you, you know, I've been listening to your podcast, which has been helping me because I've been really unmotivated lately to come to work. So why is that? What's going on? Are you treating you bad? Is something going on here? Something I need to know? He said, no, no, it's just, you know, I was making so much on unemployment. I'm actually making less being fully employed than I was on unemployment. He said, I used to love to come to work, but now the same job, I'm kind of unmotivated because I was making more sitting at home playing video games. Okay, I understand it. And that's a very common dynamic right now. And again, governments do what they think is best and they make emergency procedures. By the way, sometimes emergency provisions become permanent provisions. But the one thing I will tell you is not permanent is there's not an unlimited supply of money they have to keep printing. And at some point in time, Paying people to stay home is not going to be sustainable. We know this is rampant. It's not just an opinion. And again, everything's politicized today. But Black Box Intelligence, which is a restaurant analytics company, the recent report came out, like as in very recent, that 40% of restaurants are severely understaffed. There's a McDonald's in Florida paying people $50 just to show up for a job interview. And people say, well, McDonald's, and they don't pay much. You know, the number of people I've served on boards of hugely successful men and women who had their start at McDonald's? 
And it's always the argument, oh, minimum wage. And, you know, minimum wage is designed to help people start somewhere. It's not designed for people to stay somewhere, usually. And so what happens is people go and get this job at McDonald's where they pay whatever. You work and you serve customers and you work with a team and you get trained and you do it for a summer and then you do it maybe a few more years and so on and so forth. And the next thing you know, you're now a trained person who gets hired by the next restaurant or the next opportunity and away you go and away you go and away you go. And the next thing you know, someone's got this fantastic career because they started out at McDonald's and now they're not going to McDonald's or anywhere else for that matter because they're getting paid to stay at home. Again, some of this is very short term. Some of this has very significant implications. It also makes the people who are going to work feel like schmucks because I'm working, I'm putting in the time and my buddies are not. Therefore, I'm the idiot. I'm giving my time and effort and labor to this work and I could be getting paid not to work. So we're going to talk today about the blessing of work, okay? That's what we're going to talk about. Thomas Edison said, opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and looks a lot like work. Thomas Edison had 1,093 inventions patented. Think about it. Most people in their life will never patent a single invention. Edison, 1,093. Why? Because opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and looks a lot like work. What is work? According to Webster and a few other places I found, it's exertion of effort directed to produce or accomplish something. So work is about accomplishment. Hmm. Physical or mental effort to trade for money. So it's something you trade. You trade your time, your expertise, your skill, your effort, your energy, uh, some of your emotional intelligence. You trade that for compensation. And a third definition was personal and social identity. So we're going to dive into some big stuff here today. Three major points as always. The first major thing I'm going to cover is why it's perceived in the culture as a curse. Work is a curse and not a blessing. We're talking about the blessing of work. And then we're going to get into what the actual blessings are, how it blesses you far more importantly in far more ways than just money. And then we're going to talk about how we should work, how we should go about it. So we see it as a curse. You ever heard the phrase, I'm just a working fool? You think about that. I'm just a working fool. That's a commonly expressed statement. I'm just a working fool. I'm a fool for working, right? I'm in the rat race. I'm on the treadmill. I'm going nowhere, expending effort in this meaningless, meaningless pursuit. Living for the weekend. You know, can't wait till I'm not working. The OJs wrote a song about it called Living for the Weekend. It says, soon as on Monday rolls around again, I got to put all that party into an end. Got to solve that same old grind. With those five-day weeks, sometimes I get frustrated. Through the day, take off early, get a cut in pay. At the time, I don't really care because I done took all that I can bear. Sounds like misery. Sounds like prison. We're going to talk today why so many people are in a prison. And work is the escapee. It's the stool pigeon. It's, it's who we say that's the problem. Work is the problem. Again, we have the wrong image of success. Sitting on the beach in a hammock. Our house has always been a place of fun, a place to connect. We've got this backyard. I mean, it's like living on a resort. People like to come there. One young fellow that the guys brought by here recently, he made a million dollars on Bitcoin, 24 years old, and it was a gamble. He didn't really even understand it. Made a million bucks, 
Now, anyone who hears this story, like it just kind of kills like people who've been grinding and saving and saving for a down payment, working, saving their 10%, putting it in a savings account, putting it in a an ETF, you know, letting it grow, buying a piece of real estate. And then you hear some character making a million bucks in a short period of time. It's like, you feel like a loser. You feel like you're walking on the freeway while all the cars are flying by you and that you've messed up. You're the idiot. And what happens is the people who are working and grinding and saving feel like losers. And I'm going to say this to you. It's the hare and the tortoise. I know what I'm talking about. I've seen it so many times. I've seen it as a kid. Growing up in Dublin, there was a fellow on our street. I won't name his name. But he was backing horses, which is a very common thing in Ireland. It's a great have a punt, as they say. Have a punt and a pint. You'd go and have a drink, and then you go to the bookie's office. And traditionally for years, certainly all over Dublin, Wherever there was a bookie's office right next door, there was a pub, right? So you go have the bet on the horses or whatever you're betting on, and then go next door, have a pint, and then come back and forward. And some lads never made it further than the two front doors of those places. So this fellow that I knew, he lived on our street, and obviously we're living in pretty humble means. In American terms, I think they call it an exactor or something, but basically he picked the win, place, and show in seven consecutive races. And so the winnings of the first go to the second, the winnings of the second go to the third, all the way down to seven. Now, the probability is probably slightly less than winning the lotto, but similar to winning the lotto. And he won a million bucks. And he was 19 years old at the time. You know, last time I was home in Ireland, and this is over 35 years ago that he won that, he's been trying to win that ever since. (laughs) He's dead broke. He's dead broke. You see, when you get the quick gains, it doesn't make anything of you. You didn't learn very much from it. This young man uh, who made the money with the Bitcoin, actually, my sons brought him by. And I can tell my kids always, Dad, you know, would you mind talking to this guy? And we just were having conversations. And I was trying to give him maybe, he was asking me questions. And I was giving him just some solid answers on what he could do with his money and how to build a fortune. You know, he's sitting in the mansion that's overlooking the ocean. And so he knows we've done all right as a family. So I have some credibility in regards to making a few bucks, had a business that sold over a billion dollars in sales, you know, so have a bit of credibility, but I could tell, and he's a nice fella, and he's not dumb, but he's going to do something dumb with his money because he has earned this money without working for this money. He did get a rate of return, and what's happened is it didn't change him. It didn't affect him, and because of that, he's looking for the next opportunity where he can take a million and turn it into 10 million and as quickly as he did the last one. And I tell him, hey, I don't have those opportunities. I don't know those opportunities. I just know this. I've met a lot of fellows with small fortunes. And then people always ask me, how did they have a small fortune? Because they started out with a large one. And I've seen a lot of people turn a fortune into a small one. Okay. So always waiting for that next big thing to hit. It's because that wrong image of success and how success is formed. And what's happened is we have an era now of young people who grew up playing video games, who are now invested in stocks. It's cool, and there's apps, and there's this, and there's that, and the GameStops, and you know all of these types of things, and the Bitcoins, and it's hot, and it's sexy, yada, yada, yada. And there's always a trail of tears with this stuff, because it misses this huge dynamic of work. Sam Ewing said, hard work spotlights the character of people. Some turn up their sleeves, some turn up their noses, And some don't turn up at all. And that's where we are today. Some are turning up their sleeves. Some are turning up their noses. And some, they're not turning up at all. Thomas Paine said, a long habit of not thinking 
a thing wrong gives it a superficial appearance of being right. Stephen Covey, if the ladder is not leaning against the right wall, every step we take just gets us to the wrong place faster. Here's the third problem I see in why work is not considered a blessing, but it's actually considered a curse, is because of the old Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs chant. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. I've seen the license plate covers. I've seen all of those things, bumper stickers. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. According to Forbes, more than half of U.S. workers are unhappy in their jobs. More than half the people. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. How does that happen? Well, here it is. And as a coach, look, sometimes I got to say unpleasant things. I got to say pleasant things that will produce a pleasant result in your life, but it's not what you want to hear. A good coach will do that. Uh, Ancient scripture says that the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. I don't want to give you a back rub and a warm glass of milk and rub your back and say, you're doing okay, Pookie, when you're not. If 50% of the people kind of hate their jobs, there's something wrong with that. Why are they working a job they hate? When there's so much work available, so many job openings, so many opportunities, so many businesses to be open, why are half the people going to work every day doing something they hate? Because they made poor economic decisions. I bought and I bought and I finance. So now I go to work every day doing work I don't like with people I don't want to be with pursuing perhaps something that's not even connected to my gifts because of the lack of self-control and the inability to have delayed gratification. Our economic decisions can doom us to doing jobs we hate, and they can eliminate our choices. So the first thing is not to get the new job. The first thing is to stop doing the things that eliminate your choices. The first thing is to draw the line in the sand, and that's it. That's it. No more I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. If I have to owe for I'm not going to spend it. I'm not going to spend it. Now, there's two legitimate things I feel that you can finance. A house, for sure, because very few people have 100% down payment, especially in today's world. I became a multimillionaire through financing real estate. And I know there's a lot of people out there and on the airwaves and wherever else, you should never have debt on your house. And I'm just going to say this. I made tens of millions of dollars because I used the principle of leverage. Now, what I did was I saved and worked for the down payments, and I made the down payments as big as I could, and then used leverage to buy real estate, and then bought that real estate, it went up in value, and I traded, and I traded again, and again, and again, many times, always using big down payments, and then leverage, okay? So I used debt to build wealth. Very common dynamic. I did not and don't use wealth to support lifestyle. I was there the other day. Beverly and I hadn't bought a new bed in 13 years, you know, and the things, I'm not saying the springs are coming out or whatever else, but I was like, hey, you know, we, it was time for a new bed and this and that and the other, and we looked around and yada, yada. So we walk into the store and it's great salesman, great salesman. He was an immigrant from Turkey. Man, I just love being sold right. This guy, nine years selling beds. And this guy was fantastic. His name is Dennis in Encinitas Sleep Number. If you're looking for a bed, he's the guy. And not only is he the guy, I learned more about beds than I did my whole life. I, I told my wife, I, my gosh, we go to bed every night. I never put any thought into the pillow or the sleep and the health. And oh my gosh, this guy taught me. He trained us. He showed us the way. He sold us this fabulous bed with all of this stuff and everything else. And then he said, now, which financing program would you like to use? And I go, ah, Dennis. I have learned a lot from you today. Now you're going to learn something from me. Never finance your lifestyle 
I said, if I can't afford this bed, how am I supposed to have a good night's sleep? This bed can provide the opportunity for a good night's sleep, but the debt will rob me of it. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. The great Errol Flynn, the actor, said, uh, my problem lies in reconciling my gross habits with my net income. The great Dale Carnegie said, people rarely succeed unless they have fun in doing what they're doing. So we want to not spend the money so I don't I-O-I-O. So now I can actually have fun doing what I like to do and get paid well for it. And by the way, when people see me having fun, I'll be even better at it. I'll be more received by the marketplace. I'll get paid more. Powerful, powerful stuff. So why is work not a blessing? Because we see it as a curse. It's the opposite of a blessing. Just a working fool. We have the wrong idea of success. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. So this young man who told me, hey, I'm having a hard time getting motivated, let me say this. We had a very energetic conversation, and I championed him, and I applauded him, and I built him up. I said, dude, you keep showing up, and you've kept showing up. You're learning a trade. You're being mentored by a general contractor. That dude's going to retire one day. He trusts you. He loves you. All his customers. Now, I, I helped that guy become a millionaire. I helped that contractor. I helped him buy real estate and buy more real estate. And now he's independently wealthy and he could retire if he wants. You can take over his business one day. All of his customers and all his customers are your customers. They've seen you. They've seen you showing up. So guess what? You're becoming a millionaire and about to take over a millionaire's business and become a millionaire yourself. Why? Because you showed up even though they were paying you to stay home. Let me tell you, wouldn't you like to come work for me one time just to come and put windows in? I have you motivated and fired up. But you don't have to do that. You just have to turn on your podcast here, and you get it here for free. Man, what a deal this is. Matt, I can't wait to hear this next part. I'm excited to talk about it. The blessings of work. There's three elements of work. Occupation, vocation, and calling. Now, many people make the mistake of throwing that all under the umbrella of career. I want to walk this through with you. One of the richest men that ever lived was King Solomon, and he wrote a bunch of stuff about money and success, and it's all there, and it's all these principles, and it's in this book. And you know what's wild is that most people won't read this book. So I read the book, and I apply this book, and then I have the how-tos, and then people pay me to coach him and train him on those very things that I read for free. But he said, do you see a man skilled in his work? He'll stand before kings. I'll testify to that myself. Who the heck am I? An immigrant house painter who came to America. 92 bucks in his wallet. Gets into a motorcycle accident. Oh, a quarter of a million dollars in expenses. My leg in a cast, a steel rod down my tibia and fibula. Gangrene, they're going to amputate my leg. And that's how I started. That's how I started. How does that guy start? He's 19 years of age. He knows nothing and nobody. How does that guy start out and end up somewhere? And I, and I just put my head and rear down. And I used my occupation and my vocation to get me places. My occupation was real estate. An occupation, by definition, is the productive activity, service, trade, or craft for which you get paid. And you get paid for the value, the value you bring to the marketplace. So the fact of the matter is, I had an occupation called real estate. And for me, I immersed myself in personal growth and development. I was talking to some of the guys at the company today. Growth and development is so huge to me because when I got exposed to personal growth and development in 1986, Jim Rohn, Zig Ziglar, Ogmandino, Brian Tracy, you know, Tommy Hopkins, you name it, Nito Cobain. If they were out there, Earl Nightingale, I had their recordings. I listened to them. I put that stuff in my car till the tapes broke over and over again. And what happened is that personal growth gave me the motivation and helped me with the philosophy, get my thinking right, 
challenge my thinking to ultimately pursue a career in real estate. And that was my occupation. And I became very successful. Became a very successful realtor, one of the top in the country. By the way, that provided for my family. I lived inside my means. I didn't IOIO. So I bought real estate. I bought personal real estate and I bought investment real estate and then became a millionaire from those investments. And so that was the power of it. And by the way, do you see a man skilled in his labor? He'll serve before kings. That's what happened to me because as I became successful, then what happened is people would ask me to come and speak and share. Brian, how are you being successful? You're an immigrant, came here with nothing, got out of hospital with all these bills and knew nobody and had nothing. You know, and I hear all these people talking down America. It kills me. It hurts me. I'm an American by choice. I came here. All I saw was opportunity and gave me a chance to change my life. I love this country. And I did. And I've built this occupation. And then they said, hey, Brian, can you tell us how you did it? And so they'd ask me to speak at these conferences and conventions and things like that. And when I spoke and shared just the simple strategies I was using, people were enamored with this stuff. And as I did some of this stuff, my bride came to me, you know, my best friend and confidant for the past 35 years. She came to me and said, uh, you got a gift in this area. And I'm like, oh, I kind of feel like something's going on. I don't know what I should do with this. And she goes, maybe this is going to be your vocation. I didn't even know what that was. I thought I had a vocation. No, no. Real estate was my occupation. I loved it. Loved every minute of it. I still love real estate today. But when I started speaking, it was like this tuning fork going off inside. And it was this inclination. Uh, Vocation is an inclination to undertake a certain kind of work. So I started speaking and presenting, and that turned into Buffini Company. So after this successful real estate career, along came this 25-year career at Buffini Company to train and teach mostly people in real estate. And then it got to lending. And then there's 47 different types of businesses coached by Buffini and Company today, the largest small business coaching company in the world and training programs and a billion dollars in sale and millions of people served in 40 countries all over the world. It's been my vocation. And you talk about skill in your work, you'll stand before kings. As a spokesman for Buffini and Company, we put on our events. I've had the chance to bring out Neil Armstrong and Jay Leno and whoever, you name it, uh, politicians, tech gurus, just unbelievable success in sports and academics, movie actors. I'm the immigrant with 92 bucks who knew nothing, who just became a realtor and did it real well. And my occupation has turned into my vocation. And now at this next stage of my life, in my mid-50s, having had these two hugely successful careers, now I feel this dynamic. I started doing this podcast as a hobby. And now it's turned into a calling. And a calling is an inner urge or strong impulse, especially one believed to be divinely inspired. The fact of the matter is I have this great passion myself for this calling to bring the good life to more people, to help people feel better, to help people think better, and to help people do better. You'll be hearing lots and lots of cool stuff in the months and years to come about where this calling has taken me and where I hope to take you as an audience on that journey to help you feel better and think better and do better. Lastly, as I finish up here today, how should we work? The first thing is hustle. Hustle is powerful. Episode 191 of the Brian Buffini Show, I went to this in more detail. I'm still a hustler. Now think about it. I don't need the money. I haven't needed it for a long time. I'm in here hustling, hustling to reach more people and build better content, have better guests. I'm constantly hustling. You know why? Because my mentor, Jim Rohn, told me Brian, become a millionaire for what it will make of you to become it. See, that's the beauty of work. That's the blessing of work. 
is I became a millionaire because of what it made of me. It's who it's made me to be. And I want to share that with other people. Now, you can do whatever you want with the money. You can give the money away if you want. But ultimately, become a millionaire for what it will make of you. And what it makes of you, for me, hustle. I get up every day. I've got the juice. I've got the fire. I'm 54 years of age. I got more fire than I did at 24. Why? Because I was a hustler then, but now I'm an educated hustler. And hustle is the energy you bring and the passion you bring. So do the hustle. The next thing is do more than they pay you for. I learned this from my father and grandfather. When we did a paint job, we cleaned the windows and changed the light bulbs to show off the paint job. And you know what they would do? They'd have us either paint more of the building or the building next door or their friends or colleagues. When it was commercial, we'd go down the street. When it was residential, we'd go down the street because we always did more than we paid for. You know, the fact is, what is people's work today? They want to do as little as they can to get paid for. I hear meetings and conversations. People say, oh, well, this would be more efficient for us, and this would be easier for us, and this would be more effective for us if we just did this and not even thinking about the customer. Oh, this would be smoother and more effective. No, no. That dynamic. It's not about making it easy for you. It's about making it better for everyone else. So we need to hustle. Do more than they pay you for. And then ultimately, it becomes your legacy. What you leave behind. I got to say this. I got six kids that all hustle. They've grown up flying on private jets, going to our house in Hawaii, living in more grandeur than I ever thought would be happy for me. But you know, all my kids are grinders. They all work. They all work. And they're all known for their work. And each in their own different life and career. So it doesn't matter if you're born with a silver spoon or a wooden spoon. The fact of the matter is these are mindsets. And I believe when you do it right, when you view work as a blessing and not a curse, those who come after you will see work as a blessing and not a curse. And their work will impact others. Your work will impact others. You'll help more people. Work is a blessing. It is a blessing. I've had an occupation in real estate. I've had the vocation in Buffini and Company. And now I have this calling to bring the good life to more people. More people. My goal is to help more people feel better. A lot of people feel bad right now. I want to help people think better. There's a lot of goofy thinking going on. There's a lot of lack of wisdom going on out there and social media and the TV and the media dynamics and the contests that go on back and forward between the people arguing. I want to help you think better. I want to help you do better. That's my calling. I hope you come with me on the journey. I'm excited to show you what's coming next. I hope this has been helpful for you. I hope this makes you feel better about the job you have. I hope this makes you feel better about the work you do. Maybe it'll cause you to make some changes so IOIO is no longer the reason for doing anything. And ultimately, when work is your blessing and you do so much of it, your life is more of a blessing. It's more of a contributor to the good life that you want to live. And then that work, because you're joyful in it, you do it well, you get paid well, it allows you to have the lifestyle you want, and then it ultimately allows you to leave a legacy where you bring people along by your example. Hope this has been helpful for you today. Maybe you're listening to this on your way to work. I hope you have a great day at work if you do. And someone who taught me all about elbow grease, my mom, Therese, and she's going to leave us with a little Irish blessing, and not only the blessing of work, but the blessing of life. Thanks for joining me today. We'll see you next time. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. Oh,